African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. In the headlines, Afghan President Ashraf Ghani has made an offer of peace talks to the Taliban. The United Nations calls for protection of internally displaced Libyans. And Nigeria's government have set up a committee to establish how Boko Ram jihadists kidnapped 110 girls from this school. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The Afghan President Ashraf Ghani has made an offer of peace talks to the Taliban. He made the announcement at a meeting of 25 countries and organizations involved in what's called the Kabul process. The BBC's Roger Walker reports. President Ghani proposed a ceasefire and a release of prisoners. He also offered to eventually recognize the Taliban as a legitimate political group as part of a process aimed at ending more than 16 years of conflict. Mr Ghani said he would be ready to accept a review of Afghanistan's constitution. In an apparent policy shift on Monday, the Taliban called for direct talks with the United States, which is heavily involved in the war. Civilian casualties have soared in recent months as the militant group has unleashed a wave of bloodshed in urban areas. The United Nations says the month-long ceasefire in Syria demanded by the Security Council can bring genuine relief to the rebel-held enclave of eastern Ghouta. The UN says Tuesday's fighting has prevented any aid deliveries in the first humanitarian pause declared by Russia. Since February, more than 18,000 civilians have been killed in the Syrian and Russian bombardment of eastern Ghouta, making it one of the bloodiest episodes of the country's seven-year-old conflict. Syria's Deputy Foreign Minister Faisal Mehdad. We are fighting against terrorism. These are terrorist groups. They don't care for the people. They don't care for children. They are trying to uh, misinform the international public opinion about the real developments. What we are trying to do is to liberate the people of eastern Ghouta from the grip of terrorist organizations which have been there for the last uh, six, seven years. 
The UN Humanitarian Coordinator for Libya, Maria Ribeiro, has called for the protection of internally displaced people known as IDPs in the town of Tawagea in northern Libya. Ribeiro says the UN Humanitarian Organizations and Partners in Libya are deeply concerned about the situation faced by men, women and children who are unable to return home. She says hundreds of people have been stuck in open areas with difficult weather conditions without access to basic services for over three weeks. Nigeria's government have set up a committee to establish how Boko Haram jihadists managed to kidnap 110 girls from this school in the country's remote northeast. Members of the militant Islamist group stormed the government girls science and technical college in Dabchin Yobe state last Monday. The 12-member committee will be chaired by a major general and includes senior figures from the armed forces, police, intelligence agencies and the state government. South Africa's Police Minister Becky Kele says security at the Ngobo police station in the country's eastern Cape province will be beefed up soon to ensure that officers are not easy targets of criminals, speaking at the memorial service of five policemen and a soldier. Kele said the brutal killing of police cannot be tolerated. He says they will make sure that the police station is in good condition. For now, we have a criminal scene. We don't have a church there. And then it's a part of the investigation. Police will advise that, let's say, they investigate and they discover that these people might, might regroup and come back to do the same thing. We're not going to allow those things. But we'll allow the investigation to inform us which direction now we're taking. I want to repeat, we don't have a church at the present moment to have a crime. Recapping the top stories, Afghan President Ashraf Ghani has made an offer of peace talks to the Taliban. The United Nations calls for protection of internally displaced Libyans and Nigeria's government have set up a committee to establish how Boko Haram jihadists kidnapped 110 girls from their school. The 3rd of March every year has been declared World Yearing Day by the World Health Organization. The day is dedicated to raising awareness of yearing loss and measures to prevent it. In commemoration of the day, Channel Africa's current affairs show, African Dialogue, will be interviewing deaf students about the day and some of the challenges they still face. Be sure to catch us on our Facebook page, Channel Africa. Alternatively, you can listen to us on DSTV Audible K on Channel 802. You can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za on Thursday, the 1st of March at 1100 Central African Time. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa.
Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where we do give you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us uh, here on African Dialogue, where we come to you every Monday to Thursday, looking at the big conversations that are taking place on the African continent. Well, but today we're having a more optimistic uh, conversation. Yesterday it was a bit sad when we were looking at the Syrian situation. Well, today we're moving forward, looking at uh, uh, the icon Nelson Mandela. We're looking at uh, how he became such a global uh, icon. And what does the iconography of Nelson Mandela actually mean and what did it stand for, not only for South Africa, but also from a Pan-African perspective and also looking at it from a global viewpoint. And uh, we're going to be looking at that. The Nelson Mandela Foundation unveiled a two-year program to honor its founder, Nelson Mandela, and uh, he turned uh, 100 years this year. He's turning 100 years uh, in uh, uh, July, if I'm not mistaken, this year. So there is a, a centenary celebration that is taking place not only in South Africa but I'm sure it is going to be a worldwide movement as uh, uh, there is some momentum that is picked up uh, during the year now uh, the foundation hopes that the values of integrity respect service transformation and transparency are actually uplifted uh, through this particular celebration joining us in our studio we have got uh, uh, Sam Fenter who's joining us who is uh, the senior researcher at the Nelson Mandela Foundation we also also have uh, uh, Dr. Brown Maba, who's an author and historian, who's joining us as well in the studio. Uh, we'll also have Dr. Albino Jopela, who is the head of programs at the African Heritage Fund. Thank you guys for giving us your time here on Channel Africa as we do uh, celebrate this Nelson Mandela uh, centenary celebrations uh, this year, 2018. Let's start with you, Sam, in terms of what this actually means, this 100 years. I know there's a big kind of momentum that is starting to build and I'm sure that will actually catapult to what's going to be happening later in the year but why the emphasis on this hundred years? Well I suppose a centenary is a grand occasion and somebody who's a historical figure like Madiba needs to be remembered we need to remember him all the time not just in the centenary Mm. so it gives us a chance it's kind of a marketing opportunity I would say to show again, to emphasize what his legacy is and why it's important that people know about it and mm. continue to learn about it. So, um, from your perspective, I mean, when you look at Nelson Mandela as an icon, especially he has different symbolisms from the different areas of his particular life, uh, he, we know the, the young activist, uh, we know the, uh, the, the image of uh, the... Uh, uh, sacrificial prisoner as well and also uh, the released from prison uh, icon so all those particular moments of his lives have a different iconography and image that uh, uh, represent in people's minds and not just in people's minds but also from a philosophical point of view when you look at it in a political space Uh, your thoughts of Nelson Mandela from that iconography viewpoint Well, as you say, each phase of his life and within each phase of his life, there is symbolism that is important for us to note and to remember. Also, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier is service. Mm. You know, when he came out of prison and made that iconic speech at the Grand Parade, he said, I come here not as a prophet, but as a humble servant of you, the people. 
And when we're dealing with leadership crises, both in our country and in other countries, it's we're constantly reminded of the importance of a leader as a servant. Mm. And, you know, he was exemplary in that. And in his five years of official leadership of South Africa, he tried to demonstrate that as much as possible. But there are others, you know, and I think a less known one is, for example, his sense of humor. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> sure. A leader with a sense of humor sure, is, sure. is important to remember too. Yeah. Uh, let, let me come to you, Dr. Brown Maba, in terms of that, in terms of the representations of uh, Nelson Mandela. It's very much uh, uh, something that we struggled with, especially in the last two years, in terms of where we were positioning Nelson Mandela from a philosophical point of view, because a lot of people were talking about a political vacuum at the time, especially when we were dealing with issues of land reform, when we're speaking about issues of uh, um, fees must fall. There was almost this representation of people saying, well, you know, Nelson Mandela is, is, is a sellout. You know, he didn't actually accomplish what he was set out to do initially. I think there's a kind of uh, forgetfulness that we've suffered from in terms of the sacrifices and the representations that Nelson Mandela stood for um, when he was still alive. From your perspective, as someone who is a historian, where do you position Nelson Mandela, especially in today's time? Well, to say that Nelson Mandela was a sellout, I think that's just cheap politics. Sure. You know, I mean, if you look at the early 90s and the process of negotiating with the apartheid regime, it needed to be, to, 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 to be a situation where the ANC and other parties had to make a compromise. You know, mm. it was a give and take situation. And uh, if there are no compromises at that particular time, I mean, the country, you know, would have ended up being you know, serious flames. I mean, uh, we're almost nearing the civil war situation in the country. Uh, So we are here today in South Africa, post-apartheid Iranson, because of his efforts. Um, We we can never be sure what Mandela would have done with the Fees Must Fall campaign and Mm. so on. But of course, his emphasis on on, on education is is important. He's made that several times. And post post his era as, as a president of the country, he set up the Mandela Foundation, and amongst other things, edu- uh, promoting the importance of education, mm. the building of schools across the country, mm. you know, the funding of certain institutions that were now falling apart, uh, 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 you know, important institutions that actually produce leaders in mm. our country, you know, mm. were revived uh, post Mandela's era as a president. Mm. So we shouldn't forget that he made emphasis on that, and he himself also was an educated man, you know, mm-hmm. uh, having studied at Forte, having studied at Vets, and studying through UNISA whilst in prison. So he made an emphasis on education, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, education remains key in his life, and education remains key in the future. Education remains key in the in the, in the lives of our own children mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Let me come to uh, Dr. Uh, Jopelo is joining us on the line there, who's the head of programs at the African Heritage Fund. Um, Dr. Jopelo, thank you for giving us your time as well. From from your perspective, I'm very interested to get your viewpoints from uh, just in terms of what Nelson Mandela did represent uh, from his uh, imaging. And also what's interesting for me is just to see just the different spaces that he actually filled in terms of representation during the apartheid struggle. What's your comment on that particular idea? 
Dr. Jopel, are you there? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, fantastic. I can hear you very clearly. Okay. Uh, I would say thank you so much uh, for this opportunity that is given to the African World Heritage Fund. Uh, and if I can just uh, make um, a small correction, I'm speaking in my capacity as program specialist, not uh, the head uh, sure. of programs. Um, uh, if I can just briefly answer um, uh, you, I would say that uh, uh, one of the impacts of Nelson Mandela is actually uh, um, that uh, his image, he actually transformed the image of the continent by uh, presenting to the world uh, one of the, I think, one of the greatest examples of uh, leadership and all the values that um, he stood for. And um, as an organization that uh, whose mandate is actually to promote um, the implementation of the World Heritage Convention, which then uh, one of the, uh, uh, the goals is actually to promote peace among um, nations, mm. Uh, our institution is actually uh, tasked with um, the mandate to also help um, the states that are signatories to this convention to preserve this heritage. For instance, in this case, we are uh, South Africa. We can't talk of a, a better example than Robben Island, mm -hmm. the place where Nelson Mandela spent 18 years, is a World Heritage Site. And it is um, one of the, 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 the reasons for such a declaration is ex exactly the fact that uh, it represented this triumph of the human spirit against adversity mm. of such a regime as the apartheid. So um, Nelson Mandela is intrinsically linked to uh, what uh, we as an organization are tasked um, to do in terms of helping uh, other state parties in the continent, including um, uh, South Africa, but also ultimately in the promotion of uh, this image that uh, Mandela also promoted about the continent and also linking the issue of uh, safeguarding and preserving our heritage, in this case uh, the heritage that is also associated to, uh, to Nelson Mandela um, for the present uh, and the future generations. And if I can uh, just add one um, element, for instance, uh, it's important to note that um, one of the, the programs that South Africa is undertaking and with uh, which uh, the African World Heritage Fund supports is actually the nomination of uh, the sites that are related to the struggle against apartheid, mm -hmm. which are now actually designated Nelson Mandela uh, sites to the World Heritage List. So this is another um, area of, uh, of our involvement and what could actually um, exemplify what uh, this uh, Mandela signified to us. Well, I want to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and continue with our guest. We've got Sam Fentero joining us in our studio, senior researcher at the Nelson Mandela Foundation. We also have Dr. Brown Maba, who is an author and historian, and Dr. Albino Jopela is joining us from the African Heritage Fund. We're going to take a quick break. It's almost 20 minutes past 11 o'clock. Thank you for joining us on our platforms, various platforms. Remember, we're on DSTV on channel 802 on the audio bouquet. If you're listening to us uh, via our uh, shortwave service uh, into the continent. We're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band uh, to southern Africa. And if you're listening to us uh, from our pan-African community outside the continent, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this.
This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholisasa Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us. It's 11.21 Central African time. You're right here on Channel Africa, where we give you the African perspective. Our focus today is the 100-year celebration of the life of Nelson Mandela. It's uh, becoming a big deal in South Africa. We've heard uh, uh, some uh, uh, mentions of uh, the importance of this particular year and celebrating the life of Nelson Mandela, even from a political perspective. But also, there's been a lot of conversations we know on the African continent in the last few years about uh, uh, the questioning of leadership on the African continent and uh, there has been a term that has been making its rounds especially in South Africa in the last uh, few years where people have been speaking about um, a leadership vacuum and and Sam I want to come to you from a political standpoint in terms of the the kind of charisma that Nelson Mandela had it was very unique you highlighted earlier on that there were various talks about um, his humor and also his uh, representation as a, as a man of reconciliation. I think that is uh, a representation that overarchs many of what he stood for. Yes. Uh, sorry, I was uh, a little distracted. Do you want to rephrase your question? No, I was just asking you in terms of uh, from a political perspective. Um, we've been speaking about a lot of issues in terms of um, social vacuums when it comes to, to leadership. From your perspective, as the reconciliation icon, what do you think that Nelson Mandela represented? Well, I think... Well, reconciliation, certainly. His his whole presidency was mm. about reconciliation. Mm. And as Dr. Mabe said earlier, South Africa would have gone down in flames mm. if it hadn't been for that conciliatory approach. What happened next was up to the his successors. But reconciliation, non-racialism, mm. democracy. We had to get South Africa from an apartheid state to constitutional democracy mm. and he was important in that sense his charisma helped a lot mm. and you're talking about current political leadership mm. you can see President Cyril Ramaphosa invoking that same charismatic conciliatory warm people person kind of leadership mm. um, that's obviously very deliberate mm. Dr. Mabo your thoughts? Yeah you know uh, by going back to, to Grand Parade, Cyril uh, Ramaphosa actually wanted to draw strength from that Mandela experience. Sure. So it was not just an act of putting up a show. Mm. He knew that his leadership 
uh, as, a, as a president of South Africa would have to come from that balcony, so to speak, sure, sure. <laughs> and move forward from there. Mm. And I think it paid its own dividends. And of course, coupled with, with that was his speech, the Tumamina speech, it has mm. you know, come to be known as the Tumamina speech. Mm. So we, we can now at least see the link between the past and the present. And of course, there's been a gap, leadership gap, the last few years, corruption, state capture, we all know about these mm. things, you know. Uh, lack of morals, uh, like lack of ethics, and so mm. on. And in a way, the country was going down the drain and uh, taking the wrong path. Mm. But we now see the spirit of renewal, you know, uh, with Cyril Ramaphosa coming into power. You know, both benefiting the ANC, but also benefiting the country as a whole. Mm. You know, people are hopeful, you know, we've seen Zantanene coming back as the Minister of Finance, mm. you know, Private Gordon coming back, you know, and into the cabinet as well. And the reshuffling and removal of certain people or bad apples or fools <laughs> <laughs> associated with state, state capture. Mm. So we, we are on a path, good path of renewal, good path of reconciliation. Mm. And, you know, uh, all of us are worried about South Africa, that if South Africa collapses, the rest of South Africa is going to collapse. It's true. Because mm. if you look at other African countries, you know, uh, our leaders tended to stay, overstay their welcome. Mm. Uh, case in point is Zimbabwe, you sure, know, sure. uh, where you simply don't know what to do with the leader. We just want to stay there and mm. hang around forever, mm. you know, with his hangers by. <laughs> so I'm glad that you know we are in, this, in the process of renewal as a country mm. and moving forward in the positive and that there's posi- positivity, and everybody's optimistic about where we're going to, mm. and, and, and a relief for our children because we're beginning to worry about their future as well. Mm, mm. What's going to happen, you know, uh, post our lives. But mm. now with Ramaphosa coming on board with the Tumamina speech and the energy and so on, you know, we have a good way forward. Mm. Let me bring this conversation to Dr. Tropella who's joining us on the line from you're going to speak to us from a heritage uh, perspective, definitely. So I'll keep my questions to you in, in that particular line. And what is very interesting for me when it comes to that particular heritage is that there has been criticisms around that particular heritage. Sometimes people say it's not necessarily easily accessible to the the greater large uh, public, especially when you look at the dynamics of uh, um, inequalities and economic gains in South Africa, where we're still seeing uh, a huge uh, disparities in, in the country. In terms of making heri- the heritage of Nelson Mandela more accessible to the ordinary person on the ground who might not necessarily have access, what more is being done to make sure that that heritage is not just a privilege or is not so exclusive? Um, yes, uh, I, I think one would have to uh, consider two um, main elements. First, the definition of heritage, mm-hmm. because if we are looking at um, physical objects or, or places, mm-hmm. then uh, we are talking about, uh, yes, having to grant access uh, to people and so on. But then if we look at as events and processes which involve memory and celebration, uh, I mean, uh, it seems that uh, it's more broad. So um, uh, valuing Mandela's heritage, mm. then uh, it would imply uh, promoting uh, Mandela's values or the values that Mandela actually promoted and, and so on. So it would be more broad. 
but uh, when it comes to um, the materiality and sure. how we look into, uh, for instance, the sites that are declared as place or repositories of uh, uh, memory, uh, then there has been uh, quite um, a lot of uh, initiatives. Uh, but again, um, one 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 of the the, the issues uh, that one has to look at is the issue of access, as you rightly uh, point out. Uh, which um, um, it one uh, on one hand would have to speak to the issue of uh, sustainability. For instance, the sites that have been developed for so that. Uh, people can visit and learn about um, uh, Mandela, uh, how sustainable uh, they are and how they can actually be uh, maintained, then it comes to the issue of the entrance fee and, and, and all the costs uh, involved. But on the other hand, yes, one has to think about uh, who uh, the sites are developed for, so whose heritage ultimately uh, and then um, there is also a need to make uh, uh, some of uh, the places that are actually developed uh, for enjoyment and promotion of uh, of the values related mm -hmm. to Mandela that are more um, actually, uh, accessible. But from uh, not speaking and um, in any uh, official position uh, from uh, South Africa because I don't have uh, the authority, I would um, point out that there are a number of um, Cases where uh, there are very good examples of how uh, those values associated to Mandela, which are also broadly also associated to the struggle uh, against apartheid, that are actually uh, displayed uh, uh, in South Africa from uh, Lily's Farm and and, mm -hmm. and and other and other places, which are actually very good um, examples of uh, of uh, places to to visit for tourism for. Uh, enjoyment, but also as a places of uh, reflection about uh, the meaning of that of this of this particular heritage. Mm. I want to come back to you, Sam, especially looking at Nelson Mandela from a perspective that uh, not, a lot of people don't take for granted, which is his international um, uh, massiveness. The fact that even in the early nineteen, the late nineteen eighties, and moving on to the early nineteen nineties. We saw a huge, huge, um, even image of, of Nelson Mandela from a, a free Nelson Mandela perspective where the messaging of the implications of our party started making it mainstream um, news internationally. And, and there were campaigns that were gone. We can speak about those big concerts in, in England and also in the United States that were garnering for the release of Nelson Mandela. What did that represent for, for South Africa, especially from what uh, Dr. Mabo was saying earlier on, the fact that we still have to maintain uh, that uh, international attractiveness from that legacy that we have from him? Well, I think it's important to note that it was a deliberate decision on the, on the part of the ANC in exile mm. to market, in a way, the struggle against apartheid and the struggle for the release of political prisoners around the figure of Nelson Mandela. Mm. That was kind of a stroke of genius. Mm. The idea was not that he should be the only person to be released, but he should be headlining the campaign, so to speak. Mm. And that worked. But it, was, it came simultaneously with internal struggles in South Africa, mm. the rise of different, you know, you had all kinds of... of 
waves of political protest and it became very strong in the 80s again Mm -hmm. Um, and the the call for sanctions against South Africa Mm -hmm. and what was happening in the rest of the world so it all came together very smoothly and culminated in a situation where the apartheid regime had to release Nelson Mandela and all political prisoners and start negotiating for the end of white minority rule. Mm. Something that also, we might look at it from that international perspective, but coming to you, Dr. Maba, from an African perspective, Mm. did we have the same um, sloganeering around Nelson Mandela, especially when it came to the continent's own uh, decolonization efforts at that particular phase in time? We did. And actually, you know, uh, if you look at Mandela and Pan-Africanism, mm-hmm. such goals, you know, could be traced back to 40, the okay. 1940s and 50s. Okay. Remember that African leaders started at 40, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shoulders with the Mandelas of this world, and the Tamils of this world were at 40 at the time. Um, you know, uh, Robert Mugabe was at 40 in, in the 40s. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and so more carefully of 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 Botswana, mm. no, of of Lesotho, uh, and then uh, you you heard in, in Botswana says there is a karma, mm. and at some point you have you had uh, you, you had you had Lalu who who ruled Uganda for a, a brief period of time after the death after after the over- overthrow of uh, Idi Amin in 1979, mm. so. When Mandela went to prison, when the NC was now gaining ground in the 50s and 60s, and when people were going into exile, they were received by these leaders in Somokele, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they were received by leaders in Botswana, Sesaretsakam, uh, and so on. Because, you know, the roots of these connections could be traced back to 40 and so on. Okay. And, and then literally, some of the exiles, you know, uh, people like ZK Matthews, Mm. Occupied senior positions in Botswana. Mm. I mean, uh, he was he was he was one of the senior ambassadors in in in, in Botswana, and his son Joe Matthews uh, <coughs> was also high up in government in Botswana, and other people as well contributed significantly in the development of these particular countries and so on. So the roots of Mandela internationalism could be traced back from Forte, and the establishment of Somafco in 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 Tanzania. Mm-hmm at the NC school in Tanzania in 1978, was an indication by people like Julius Nyerere that they were keen to assist the ANC where they could, you know, uh, financially, morally, you know, the army and so on. Mm. And of course, the ANC camps across different parts of, of, of the continent also uh, was an indication that, you know, the pan-Africanism uh, was taken seriously by the other leaders, you know, around Africa. Um, Angola, the NC camps were there. Tanzania, the NC camps were there. NC had present seriously in Dar es Salaam and at Tanzania and so on and so on. Mm. So, you know, when you look at this concept of Mandela internationalism, it does not start with his release. You sure, know. Sure. The roots could be really, really seriously traced back from Forte. Mm, fantastic. I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to wrap up the discussion. And I want to go back to the theme of today in contemporary life. How can we re-energize the spirit of, of Nelson Mandela, as was highlighted by uh, Dr. Maba earlier on, that uh, in South Africa we've heard sentiments and very strong expressions from uh, the, the newly uh, uh, oathed and sworn-in president of South Africa, Sarah Ramaphosa, of re-energizing that spirit of 
of Nelson Mandela. He's been speaking about that even during his campaigning for president of the African National Congress last year, really using the the idea of Nelson Mandela as his uh, ticket card. So we'll deal with what does uh, the energy of Mandela mean today and today's challenges, especially in contemporary Africa after this break. We'll we'll wrap it after uh, when we come back. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us right here on uh, Channel Africa, where we give you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us on African Dialogue. Uh, today, we have the privilege of having Sam Fenter, who's the senior researcher at the Nelson Mandela Foundation, and Dr. Brown Maba, who is uh, an author and historian, Dr. Albino Jopela, joining us from the African Heritage Fund. Well, let's let's look at contemporary life and the challenges that we were speaking about even earlier on. We we're speaking about inequality. We we're speaking about issues of corruption in government and uh, we're speaking about leadership vacuums uh, in terms of representation today of, of Nelson Mandela that theme that we were talking about of re actually re-energizing the spirit of, of Nelson Mandela is very relevant today especially in uh, uh, the millennial age because there's, it's a very social age very social conscious age where young people are very aware of the, their environment uh, uh, Dr. Maba from your perspective how should we position Nelson Mandela today to actually foster a, a deeper philosophy of Africanism on, mm. on, on in our countries and in our continent. Well, we live we live obviously in post-apartheid times, mm. and we are not saying to the youth of today that they should throw stones, mm. you know, <laughs> or go to prison. Mm. They don't have to do that. Mandela has done that on behalf of the youth. Mm. However, there's challenging things that the youth have to look into: HIV/AIDS, issues of HIV/AIDS, issues of curriculum change and curriculum debates around the curriculum. Mm both higher high education and in secondary schools and even at primary school level. Sure. You know, uh, issues of leadership, you know, issues of economic development. So we need our youth to take charge and to lead us in, 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 in this regard, you know. Uh, you know, bring, you know, bring about awareness in terms of HIV, be involved in those programs and mm-hmm. so on and so on. Mandela himself was not ashamed about HIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and its stigma, you know. One of his sons was HIV positive, and he came out, you mm. know, to say one of my sons is positive, and he died. And so, so our youth must take charge of those of 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 of, the, of, of those pillars of, of of the society. But then beyond the continent, you know, we should mention Ella that you know the struggles for liberation could be traced back to forty, mm. where all or most African leaders studied or cut their teeth in the forties and fifties. Uh, and just before you know uh, <coughs> the introduction of University Act of 1959, which tribalized universities, sure. uh, and that in that regard we should think about you know our approach to Pan-Africanism, and that issues like xenophobia and killing of foreigners you know t- do not belong to the kind of perspective that Mandela followed or led, mm. and that we should understand that you know uh, during apartheid, 
not only were we housed in these different countries, but actually South Africans married Tanzanian women, Zambian mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. and so on. And then, and then we had offspring from these marriages, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, some of these families they live here in South Africa today. Sure. So we should be mindful of all these dynamics, you know. Mm. Um, your, your thoughts, uh, Seb? Well, I, from the perspective of the Mandela Foundation, where we try to make his legacy accessible through the papers he left us and through dialogue campaigns, we've got a website, www.nelsonmandela.org. We're trying to get all of this pa- th- these papers accessible online. I think that the new generations should first and foremost read about him, learn what his values were, what he said about things, and start discussing and creating a new world based on those Mm -hmm. kind of values. Mm -hmm. Obviously not uncritically, Mm -hmm. but the information is there. He left us with a lot, a huge archive, which we want to share with the world. Mm. And uh, coming to you, uh, Dr. Um, Jopela, as we wrap it up, from a heritage perspective, what are your thoughts on uh, where we can actually harness uh, the heritage of Nelson Mandela uh, from the various um, definitions of heritage that you've highlighted earlier on? How do we make sure that that's maintained and that's actually that that messaging is actually also reachable? Um, yes, um, I, I think I would um, I would gladly build on the, the intervention from um, the previous speakers where they've highlighted uh, the internationalism of Mandela and uh, his legacy that is actually beyond um, the borders has, um, of South Africa, but also the fact that um, this uh, heroic figure uh, sits in this context of the struggle for independence. And this is uh, a truly shared heritage uh, across at least southern and uh, eastern uh, African region. So there is a huge potential to actually um, uh, harness the, not only the values but also what um, this, uh, what Mandela symbolizes, and not only um, the figure itself, but uh, the contribution of uh, um, different. Uh, countries and peoples uh, to engage in the same um, in the same struggle for uh, for the same um, uh, goal which was to actually attain um, independence so uh, on, on from from that uh, perspective um, I would like to highlight the fact that uh, uh, for instance there, uh, some years back I think 20, 2005 uh, UNESCO actually adopted um, a program roads to independence African Liberation Heritage Program, whereby um, a number of countries in the region then came together with this idea of how do we uh, remember and honor uh, the heroes of uh, um, uh, the independence across the region, and not only looking at uh, at individuals, but uh, looking at the collective contribution. And this is how um, we we think that um, from a heritage point of view, uh, remembering or celebrating uh, Bela Mandela is also um, um, a homage that is paid to um, the other um, individuals, to unknown heroes and uh, and heroines, and mm-hmm. also the um, the people in the in, in general to the region that have engaged and fought for the same uh, principles and values that Mandela also um, led and fought, and specifically in South Africa. So remembering Mandela has this huge meaning because it's very, it's, uh, it's, it's, 
it, it can be easily um, uh, translated to the realities and the, uh, across the region, which is a, a very important um, uh, aspect when we want to promote uh, the values of peace, uh, reconciliation, human rights, and also as uh, one uh, of the, um, uh, uh, the, the uh, as it was already mentioned, um, uh, this a good relation mm -hmm. among uh, neighbors and, and, and not having uh, incidents, sad incidents like uh, xenophobic attacks and things mm -hmm. like that, that, so that the heritage can actually be a, a useful, a useful um, uh, a tool and, and, and space to actually promote uh, those values that we, uh, we actually, that Mandela put them up, uh, very well. Well, that's where we're going to wrap it up. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Sam Fenter and Dr. Brown Maba for coming into our studios. And thank you to Dr. Albino Jopela, who is joining us from the African Heritage Fund. That takes us to 11.45 Central African time. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll come back with our business news. And then we'll have our sports thereafter. Let's take a quick one. We'll be back after this. Thank you very much, guys. Let us all unite and celebrate together. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apartheid. This year, 2018 marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Let us make Africa the tree of life. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. Uh, the European Union is due to publish the first uh, draft of its uh, Brexit withdrawal treaty. The document is expected to say that uh, Northern Ireland will have to follow the rules of the EU single market to avoid a hard border with uh, the Irish Republic. The document will encapsulate in legally binding text agreements already reached on Ireland. The BBC's Adam Fleming reports. This is the document that will eventually seal the Brexit deal. The EU's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, said it shouldn't contain any surprises because it faithfully translates the political pledges made by both sides in the talks so far into the kind of legally watertight text found in a treaty. It's the European Commission's first draft, which could still be tweaked by the 27 remaining member states and will form the basis of further negotiations with the UK. In areas where there hasn't been agreement, the text will reflect the EU's position. 
The Kenya Bureau of Standards has warned hotels and event organizers against the use of uncertified packaged drinking water. Managing Director Charles Ongwaye said in a statement that some hotels and public event organizers have been distributing uncertified water to their clients, exposing them to health hazards associated with consumption of substandard water. He said packaged water that has not been certified by the agency will be seized and destroyed and legal action taken against the workers. And an Indian investigative group has released a report that lends credence to claims that uh, the wealthy Gupta family used the Bank of Baroda to funnel money out of South Africa. The group says it's found transactions that show money being transferred to Hong Kong, U.S. and the U.K. It claims that some of the transfers are also benefited former South African president's son, Duduzane. Nehiyapuna reports. According to the investigation carried out by the Organized Crime and Corruption Project, the Bank of Baroda's South Africa branch was aware of how the Gupta brothers were misusing their accounts in the bank to further state capture. The report claims the bank reportedly allowed them to move hundreds of millions of dollars originating from suspect deals into offshore accounts. The report also alleges that Bank of Baroda issued unapproved back-to-back loans and loan guarantees, dismissed internal compliance efforts and prevented regulators from learning about transactions, all in a bid to benefit the Guptas. South Africa's newly appointed finance minister, Nene says after being sworn in into office, his department has lined up meeting with their ratings agencies. Speaking to news agency Reuters minutes after being sworn in in parliament, Nene said it was too early to say if South Africa will be downgraded by Moody's, which rates the country a notch above junk and is due to make a decision at the end of March. The minister says their meetings already lined up with the ratings agencies because after the budget, there is a program to do just that. And Australia has announced the compulsory recall of 2.3 million vehicles due to problems with airbags made by Japanese firm Takata, and they have uh, caused uh, at least 23 deaths worldwide. The government intervention, one of the country's biggest ever consumer recalls, follows consultations with affected manufacturers and industry stakeholders. It affects vehicles made by Ford, GM Holden, Mercedes-Benz, Tesla, Jaguar. Um, Land Rover, VW, Audi and Skoda. The BBC's Hyville Griffith reports. There's been concern about these airbags for a decade now globally. It's been a huge issue in the US and here in Australia there was already a voluntary recall but the government announcing today it's simply not happy. It doesn't think it's been that's been robust enough. So what's been demanded now is a compulsory recall and it goes across a huge range of vehicles. Toyota, Holden and Ford, big popular brands here in Australia, Volkswagen and BMW, some European manufacturers too. They will have to bear the cost of this new recall. Financial indicators uh, the dollar trading at 11.63, South African rands at 9.30, Botswana Pula at 9.7, Zambian Kwacha also trading at 71 pence to the British pound and 81 cents against the euro. Commodities gold $1,317, platinum $981 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $66.23 per barrel. And that's your economics news right now.
Good day, sport fans. With the latest to Channel Africa Sport News at this hour, I'm Neto NETO Chamani. Starting off with rugby news. Wallabies coach Michael Cheika says he will likely quit if he fails to lead Australia to victory at the Rugby World Cup in Japan next year. The two-time winners have been pitted with Wales, Georgia, Fiji and Uruguay in a pool D that the pundits have called a dream draw. Australia lost the 2015 London final to the All Blacks and the 50-year-old set. He has set himself a win or walk ultimatum in Japan, with making the decider again not enough to sway him to give in one more crack in 20. 23. Lions bowling coach Gordon Parsons says the much-anticipated clash between South Africa and Australia in their tour for the four-test match Sunfall series starting on Thursday morning at Kingsmead in Durban will be an event, con- an even contest. Both the Southern Hemisphere side enjoy good pace and bounce with a rich history of hostile clashes, and both sides also have a well-defeated bowling attacks. The Englishman, who has been with the Lions for a couple of decades now, believes that pitch conditions and whichever team's exploits will be victorious in the series. Well, the first thing is, what's the role of the dice on the wicket? <laughs> I think if we take Australia on, on similar wickets that we took India on, we're going to be coming very second best. Their attack is a lot more, shall we say, scary than probably India's. Um, their batters are going to be a lot more, with the exception obviously of Kohli, are going to be a lot more up for the challenge. They won't be as intimidated by quick bowling, or certainly short quick bowling. So it's a lot more even. So I just hope that it's really good wickets and we have some really good cricket because I think it's two very even sides for the spectators and for all of us in cricket. Let's hope the wickets are good and the cricket is massive, even challenge. Hopefully five days too. Uh, I think it will go. I can see a couple of draws if the wickets are good enough because these are two very evenly matched sides. After making his ODI debut last October against Bangladesh, Proteus coach Otis Gibson is expected to give 20-year-old Wian Melda his test debut in the opening test in Durban. Parsons believe that he could be the much-needed toxin to the Proteus batting lineup. Yeah, if you look at the balance of the side, I think they're going to have to play him to balance the side nicely. So I'm quite sure he's going to bat seven and play. So absolutely thrilled for him. Um, He's done really well for us over the last 18 months. His bowling has improved a lot in the last month, particularly. I mean, that's obviously my department. We shortened his run-up around and, uh, yeah, he's becoming a lot more consistent. The batting side of things, um, yeah, the temperament's excellent. And with time, he'll grow and become better and better. On to soccer news. South African Premiership side Chipa United coach Debo Hotebzamoloi is hoping that his defence would have been fixed by the time the Chile boys play against Cape Town City in an away APSA Premiership match at the Athlon Stadium this coming Friday. Moloi is anxious about his defence after the Chile boys considered seven goals in their last three matches, having scored five times in the process. All seven goals were scored at Chile boys home matches against Platinum Stars in a three-all draw and Orlando Pirates in in a 4-2 loss, while the other match was an away goalless draw against Barocca FC. Overall, the Chile boys have considered 19 goals and netted 20 times in 22 matches. We need to strike a balance. As much as we are going forward, it means at the back we are leaking now. And before we were not leaking at the back, but uh, not going forward to get the goals. We need to strike a balance now. We have to have sessions where we work on the defensive and then we work on the offensive and then we try and combine them because it seems like they, 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 they forget these things once they start leaving the other aspect and focusing on the one that was was our weakness. So now we've gone back to the olden days whereby we go forward and we forget that uh, our backyard is open. 
If you drag your feet, you will never leave a footprint. Stay tuned on Channel Africa. More sports news in the next hour. For Channel Africa Sports, I'm Neto and ETO Chamani. Alipunga, Tela Gufa, Matiba, Molum Sila, Velabam Pensele, Yem Yem, Eclova Lycon, internationally acclaimed. Nelson Man.